0: Hey, guys, and welcome to The Money Podcast. You know, we hear a lot about how your portfolio should have both stocks and bonds because they typically move opposite to one another. The theory is when stocks go down, bonds should protect your principal. The problem... Every once in a great while, stocks and bonds both tank. For example, this year, 2022, as of May 10th, the S&P 500 is down 15%. At the same time, rising rates have crushed bonds, with some long-term bond funds down 20% or more. So what the heck are you supposed to do when there's nowhere to run, nowhere to hide? Let's find out. I'm Stacy Johnson. As usual, my co-host will be financial journalist, Miranda Markwood. Hello, Miranda. Hey, Stacy. Listening in and sometimes contributing is our producer and novice investor, Aaron Freeman. Hey, Aaron. Hey, guys. And this week's special guest is David Stein, a former hedge fund manager and the author of Money for the Rest of Us. Hey, David. Hi.
1: Good to be here. Thanks for
0: being here. We're going to get the ball rolling, but first, a quick disclaimer. Should we discuss specific investments in this show, do not take them as recommendations because they're not. We don't know you. So before you invest in anything, do your own research and please make your own decisions. Let's get back to the topic at hand. Before we get into this, David, would you briefly introduce yourself? Tell us a little about yourself, your background, your business and what you do.
1: Well, certainly well, foremost, I'm not a former hedge fund manager. I'm a former institutional manager. So we managed assets for endowments and foundations. So and, and I did that 17 years and, and left that uh, sort of retired early in my mid 40s and launched uh, really investment education, working with individuals, not in an advisory capacity, but just providing education on how investment markets work, financial type topics. And I do that through our platform as money for the rest of us we have a podcast and also an education platform.
0: And it is an awesome podcast. But, uh, you know, David, I, I, I'm sure you will agree with this, although you probably won't say it as vainly as I will. But I think I know more than about 75% of the people that are here doing podcasts on money. Uh, and then there, there's 20, 20% of people who know as much as me, and there's 5% of people who know more. And you were in that group. You, you, were, you were
1: brilliant. <laughs> well, We'll, I mean, really. we'll see you during this interview.
0: Yeah, I, I just set you up for failure there.
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> no, but you you really do know what you're talking about. I was listening to your podcast just this morning, uh, which I'm going to refer to again shortly about um, uh, the bull market in, um, what am I trying to say, commodities. Uh, and that, that was a great podcast. And I'd, I would recommend anybody who's serious about investing to listen to David's podcast. They're awesome. Great, great. thank you. So, David, now that I've set you up as a genius, uh, <laughs> It, you know, let, let's, let's just say first that the, when bonds and stocks go down together, it's very rare, and it usually has to do with inflation. Is that true?
1: Well, it has to do with inflation, but also has to do with the fact that interest rates are going up. So yeah. mathematically, if interest rates are going up, then, then bonds fall. And we're in an environment now where the Federal Reserve is raising its policy rate, trying to fight inflation. And that is causing what we call long-duration assets or more interest rate-sensitive assets to fall. And within the stock universe, the most interest rate-sensitive stocks are growth stocks because they don't pay any cash cash flow. Many of them don't pay dividends. And so they have this earnings, higher earnings growth going out in the future. But mathematically, if you're trying to figure out the, the intrinsic value of a stock or its fair value... If it has more cash flows out in the future, as interest rates go up, it's going to be worth less. And that's what we're seeing. There's elements of the stock market that have been, you know, they're down, but not down 24%, like you're seeing with the big cap growth stocks. And those tend to be more value-oriented stocks that, that pay a dividend. And so they've been somewhat protected from the, this downturn. But at the end of the day, it's because interest rates are going up, and they are going up because central banks are raising short-term interest rates, and that flows through the entire yield curve or longer-term rates.
0: Now, I'm a Social Security-aged investor with a lot of money in the stock market. Um, I own a lot of FANG stocks. What, you, you used a different term on your podcast, David. What, it wasn't FANG. It was something else.
1: Oh, yeah. It, 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 was, it, uh, it was FANMAG, which is... Uh, yes, you know, FANMAG. And I don't ask me to tell you, tell you what every single... <laughs> Name was, in there, okay. but the idea, the, the, the concept was we come up with these acronyms, uh, the, the fangs of Facebook, Alphabet, Netflix, and then when one of them stumbles, then they have to change the al- ac- acronym again. And so yeah. FanMag was just, it was basically big cap technology stocks and how well they had done up until kind of late 2021- when the environment changed and you're seeing the growth large cap growth stocks have gotten crushed in this market.
0: So what, what do I do? I've got a lot of those and I've made a ton of money on them too. Uh, some are in my retirement account, some aren't. Uh, what, what should I do?
1: Well, down markets are a great time to make sure you don't have too much stocks. And so what the stock market, worst case scenario, can fall 60%. So you mentioned the s and is down 15. We're not even close to a worst case scenario. So this, this is an environment to say if you're near retirement or you're in retirement and your lifestyle is going to be impacted by a 60% decline in the stock market, then you have too much stocks. So when when somebody is at retirement age or approaching retirement, that's the time when they need to have some some cash flow, some income, some dedicated income sources that are not dependent on the vagaries of the stock market. Because we, we don't want to be dependent on the stock market for a successful retirement when we're actually retired.
0: Yeah. Unfortunately, I've been reduced to having to do a podcast to try to bring in extra money so I can survive. <laughs>
1: Well, yeah.
2: it's a hard
0: it's a, life. It's, it's a hard life. It's good thing that's not true because it sure as hell wouldn't keep keep anyone alive. Yeah, I know. I know what, I
1: know what <laughs> pod, the uh, Podcast margins are like. Yes, it. Uh, there are better. <laughs> there are better business models than being a podcaster.
0: <laughs> yes, but it is easy and it's fun. So, so your would your advice be essentially if you're my age, if you're in your sixties. Time for a gut check and maybe take some money out of the market. Uh, But what about if you're Aaron's age or Miranda's age in their 40s, or you, I assume, too? um, Is this just time we put on our big boy pants and just get used to the market going down for a while? Or are there things that we could actually be doing?
1: Well, it's a a chance to look at what type of stocks you have. So I, I feel more calm about this market downturn than I did in 2020, because it was a very different environment. 2020 was the economy was shutting down, we had an unknown virus, it was contagious, and we had no idea what was going to happen. This environment is the economy isn't slowing it, or it, it definitely isn't contracting and there aren't even signs of an imminent contraction. And so I know in my portfolio and what I'm recommending to, to members of Money for the Rest of Us is, you know, barring you had too much to stock to begin with, now's the time to just to be patient because if you are in value stocks if you have hedged equity in other words you're protected against weakening foreign currencies as part of your international allocation and you have dividend paying stocks then and you had less interest rate sensitive bonds then you're fine you write it out your portfolio is down maybe 10 12 percent that's normal volatility and the, the challenge is when you look at 2008 or 2020, when there's an economic recession, a global recession, that's, that's when the market tends to fall even more, even, even to a larger extent. And Are
0: you looking for a recession here?
1: No, in the sense that, uh, like, I don't predict recessions. And the reality is everybody's <laughs> lousy at it. And- <laughs> You would think the recession was going to happen tomorrow, based on and one of the things we monitor is investor sentiment. And investors are incredibly bearish, and everyone is expecting this recession because the Federal Reserve is raising interest rates and they think they're going to overdo it. Maybe they will. But when the Fed raises interest rates, it can last three years as they raise rates. And certainly six out of the last eight times that the Federal Reserve was raising interest rates, it, was, it ended in a recession. But those recessions weren't necessarily because the Fed was raising rates. The recession in 2020 was not because the Federal Reserve had started raising rates in 2018. It started because, or actually it was, I believe it was 2016 they started raising rates. So we were three years into the Fed raising interest rates. And then we had a pandemic and that's what killed the economy and caused the stock market to fall. So the fact that the Federal Reserve is raising rates is in some ways a good thing. We have inflation because people are out buying stuff. Airline fares are up 40% in the last 3 months and that goes into the inflation number and why are they up 40%? Because now everybody wants to go travel. Yeah. And so we just have to kind of ride it through and if a, the, the risk of a recession increases, and at that point, yeah, maybe we pull back some risk, but not in this environment.
0: I, I would, I'm thinking the market's gonna go much lower than it is now. Um, the, the, actually, this morning, at least, the S&P 500 was basically right at 4,000, and I would be surprised if it didn't go down another 300 points, uh, and, you know, because we haven't even started raising rates yet, and the economy sooner or later will contract, whether it goes into a recession or not, but good for inflation, but I, I can't think it's going to be good for stocks.
1: Well, the so economy, my, yeah, I mean, the economy yeah. will slow, right? I mean, it will naturally yeah. slow, but it, that, that doesn't, it all comes down to what's, what's priced in. I mean, we, we'll always get a recession. There's always a next one. And, and that's where, you know, I kind of take issue with those that are out predicting doom and gloom all the time. Is they, And not that you're, you're not, I'm not saying you are, but others that that's kind of their stick. They are always out predicting the next bad thing, and eventually a bad thing happens, and then they pat themselves on the back. Yeah. Meanwhile, and so I don't, I'll just wait and see, but right now, if you look at business survey data, they they their debt balances are low. Generally, they have cash. Consumers have a boatload of cash from all the stimulus over the last few years and the high savings rate, and so they're better positioned now for an economic slowdown than they were, let's say, back in 2007,
0: 2008. I, I, well, yeah, and, you know, that's a good point, too, that you bring up, that, uh, you know, not all recessions are the same. Uh, like the, the recession that we had because of, well, you, and you mentioned this, because of COVID was sharp, sharp and short. Mm-hmm. Uh, the recession that we had in 2009, or, or prior to 2009, was horrible and long. Uh, So, you know, I'm feeling like there may be a recession in the sense that there's going to be shrinking GDP for a couple of quarters, but I don't think it's going to be a prolonged uh, recession. Of course, a nonsense statement to make, since I can't predict the future, and there's a lot of outside influences going on here, like the war in Ukraine, for example, or the supply chain issues that we have that could either exacerbate or mitigate any potential recession. So it's really hard to know.
1: Well, it is. And so what we can do is look at the level of bearishness among investors and and how many are talking about recession. And so if everybody's talking about it, expecting it, then it's usually already priced in to financial markets. And then we just need a little bit of good news. And then you could see things take off. But we don't know. Go ahead. Go ahead
0: i was just going to ask Miranda what she thinks.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think you do need to just figure out where where your. Strategy, your portfolio strategy is figure out where you're at with your own goals and kind of go from there. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen. We just did an episode on when do we think a recession is going to hit? We did bad things and tried to predict things. Uh, But like, really, it comes down to figuring out okay, what are my life goals? How how is this going to be impacted by what could be coming? And how do I stay on track with that? And I mean, for me, as we know, uh, boring as always, I just keep. I just keep on dollar cost averaging into those index products because I, whatever happens in this next crash or this next slowdown or this next recession, whatever happens, um, it's like I, I, I'm going to get through it and I still have at least 20 years before I need the money. So I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know if that helps anybody.
0: I need mine in 20 minutes, not 20 months, or 20 years. <laughs>
2: then you should probably be doing things that are different than what I do.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, well, you know, the, the big difference between us, and I'm sure this is true of people listening to this podcast, Miranda is, is an investor in index funds, and I'm an investor in individual stocks. So when you and I talk about uh, FanMag, you know, I, I own these stocks. I can sell them. I can buy other stocks. I can buy consumer staples, for example, you know, and things like that to help offset uh, any potential declines in the market. But people who like Miranda, who are just investing every month, or, or Aaron, Um, they, they, they're basically, their strategy should be relatively simple, which is just be patient.
1: Do you agree with that, David? I like their approach better than investing in individual stocks in in the sense of,
2: (laughs) yay, we finally have somebody (laughs) on to sort of agree with me.
0: But that's why you, that's why you invited David on this podcast, isn't it? It's right. I just realized that.
1: But let me tell you why. And, And by index funds, so I'm primarily a passive investor, but I also have active funds and I have. Over a dozen different asset classes, and so I think one of the challenges with index fund investing is people will buy one index fund. They'll buy the S and P five hundred index fund or the VTI, the Vanguard Total Stock Market Fund, and so there, there they are. Their equity is one hundred percent in U.S. stocks, whereas and they ignore forty percent of the rest of the world, which has higher mm. higher growth. And so, I think one, I like to buy index funds or ETFs because it's baskets of securities and I don't have to predict which one is going to surprise to the upside and which side's going to, which is going to surprise to the downside. When you buy an but, indi- individual stock and I, I spent 17 years researching hedge fund managers, researching stock managers, trying to understand you know, their process. And, and I came away disillusioned in the sense of yeah. they're not very good. Because yeah. they, they know a ton about these companies, but inevitably something happens that they didn't expect. And when we buy an individual stock, what we're saying is the consensus is wrong and we're right. The stock is going to do better than what everybody expects. And as long as people understand that, that that's, that's what you're doing. Because think about Netflix that, that fell 40% in a day. Why? Because it did much worse than what everyone was expecting, and, and then it, it, got, it got crushed. And so the way that I think, Stacy, you're approaching individual stocks where you go into different sectors or things like that, that's a more sophisticated way, but just sort of naively buying a stock, a fan mag stock, because it has high growth isn't a very good reason to buy a stock. It has to grow faster than what everybody expects and what's reflected yeah. in the price.
0: That makes sense. And, you know, I want to ask you about specific ETFs, because I was listening to, to your, your podcast this morning, like I said, and you mentioned a couple that I want to ask you about, because I'm very interested in them personally. But what I have to do first, though, is take a really quick break so we can pay the bills. we come right back and we are going to talk about specific things you might want to try uh, in the environment that we're in today. Be right back. Okay, we're back. And David, I'm not, I hope I don't put you on the spot, because these, you, you mentioned a couple of, um, th- uh, of ETFs that would do well. Uh, in inflationary environments, and, and actually, specifically, you were talking about um, a commodity Super Bowl, uh, or, or, what's it called, a Super, super cycle. cycle, right? Yeah, of commodities. Yeah. And and you and you said in that podcast you weren't sure whether that was going on, but this is one of the things that is happening that we can, we can e- even our even our most novice investor out there will understand is that inflation is is having a positive impact on on some commodities like oil, certainly. Uh, and you mentioned in your podcast about uh, the electric car. Uh, the electric car is going to become a huge thing in our future, and there are minerals that are involved in the production of those cars. Uh, so, so first of all, have you, this was only a couple of weeks ago you did this podcast, but do you think we are in a commodity super cycle? Is this something we can do to hedge the, the falling stock prices we see generally?
1: Well, it is the one investment that has worked. So commodity futures are up 30% year to date. And so, if you you've invested in it, you can pat yourself on the back. Commodities are challenging because it's a zero sum game. So yes. just like with stocks, with commodities, when you buy, and you're probably referencing, for example, the Deutsche Bank commodity tracking ETF. So DBC yes. is an ETF that I've invested in in the past. My our institutional clients have invested in it. I don't currently own it, but that is invested in commodity futures. But a futures contract basically has priced in what the consensus of what oil prices will be in the future. And in order to make money with a, an, an ETF like that, oil has to have a higher price than what's already reflected in the futures contract. Otherwise, you won't make any money. And so investing, it's very important to understand, you know, what does it take to be successful? And when you're investing in commodities, what it takes to be successful is inflation has to come in and surprise everybody and be higher than expected, because that is what has happened. And that's why commodities have done so well. If inflation comes in lower than what is expected, and then you'll see commodities sell off, and then it won't work out so well.
0: Yes. And just today, as a matter of fact, the CPI came out and had inflation a little bit higher than expected. Uh, well, depending on how you measure it. But at any rate, oil is up today, though. So but here's my question, though, David, would you advise people at this point it is May eleventh, twenty 2022? Would you advise people look at an ETF that benefits from either uh, rising interest rates or rising commodity prices or both? Rising inflation? Could you also mention an ETF on your podcast that benefits from rising inflation it invested in stocks, not commodity futures? I can't remember what the ETF right, it's was. it's
1: the Horizon Kinetics Inflation Beneficiary ETF. Uh, INFL is the ticker. That particular ETF, I, I like better than commodities because in that case, they're purchasing companies that will benefit from higher inflation but won't necessarily... They don't need higher inflation for the investment to be successful. So they own land and they own royalty trust and things that benefit from that. Whereas pure commodities... I don't own because it's probably the most overextended bullish trade out there. Everyone is bullish on commodities, which means it's reflected in the price. and there's some good arguments for why commodities might not do as well in the sense of the Chinese economy is slowing and, and ultimately it's it, it sort of it's a supply and demand thing. and, and that's where you know, if enough supply steps up and demand slackens in commodities. fall and we just don't know and i don't like to take binary bets in the market i i want to get paid cash flow which you don't get with commodities but you do get with other investments that can be protection on inflation real estate for example or, or things of that sort dividend paying stocks and and benefit that way
0: so, Aaron, we haven't heard from you at all. Uh, do, you have, do you have anything to say? Cause like, I don't want to interrupt you if you have some thoughts. Well,
1: you, uh, you guys haven't talked about the bond element here yet, and i that's my my question. So, usually, yeah. bonds and stocks are inverse with each other, and this time they're both down. And from what I'm reading, um, a lot of it is is that these companies are cash flush, and they don't need any money. Um, and there's there's different types of bonds out there. There's junk bonds and mutual bonds and all kinds of other things. Uh at what point do people jump into those things? And every time I go on and I read something about bonds, they always seem risky. Um, so can you guys clarify or clear up, you know, what, what will bonds do in the future or what's a good time to get in? What type of bonds should you get into? That's a really good Why? question.
0: What do you say, David?
1: Well, I like bonds because they're much simpler than stocks in the sense of, and less risky than stocks. You're, you're not going to lose 60% investing in investment grade bonds bonds are driven by math and so if you want to know what the return for bonds will be you can go pick up a bond fund let's say bnd the vanguard total bond market etf they they publish their yield to maturity and if you back out the fees it's called an sec yield and if you buy that bond fund and you hold it for seven years your return is going to be very close to that starting yield you can't really say that with stocks. And so in the current environment, you have bonds are down 9%. That particular ETF, for example, because interest rates have gone up. But what that means is that bond manager, as those bond matures, the, the manager is reinvesting in higher yielding bonds. And so over time, that's those higher interest rates get reinvested and your overall annualized return for bonds end up being the starting yield. And so Two years ago or a year ago, looking at bonds, we knew what the return was going to be if we had a seven to 10 year holding period where people get, make mistakes about bonds or trying to get in and out and time the bond market. You own bonds for income and you own bonds for optionality to have some dry powder for when something becomes more attractive. And one didn't have to hold the entire bond market like BND. Like there are ways to invest in bonds that are less interest rate sensitive, that you're not down 9%. You're, yeah. you're only down 3 or 4%. Well, what, that
0: matter, David, why not just buy the three-year treasury?
1: Well, Do you 3%. can buy the three-year treasury and hold that to maturity, and then you've definitely locked in your yield, the, which is you know, certainly an option.
0: And actually, this is one of the suggestions that I was going to make on this podcast too. Was that you know one of the things you can do if your bonds are falling, uh, and 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 you know obviously this horse has already left the barn, but um, you can shorten your maturities, uh, and then you won't lose any money in the bond market. Uh, And and, uh, to me, and and also you know we have to we have to acknowledge too that you can't get a hit from the dugout. Uh, So in other words, you're not going to get a home run in a three-year treasury either, you know. Um, but nonetheless, it, 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 to preserve capital, you can shorten your maturities either through by buying individual bonds, like I suggested with a three-year Treasury, or by having a short-term
1: ETF. So
0: that's one thing you can do in a period of rising or falling bond prices.
1: Right, mm-hmm. and you can also own you can own variable rate bonds. So one of the investments that I recently added is in what are called bank loans. So these are syndicated bank loans. They're non-investment grade, but they're their yields are tied to short-term interest rates. So when the Federal Reserve's raising rates, then their yields are going up. And so they yield for four, four and a half, five percent now, and you can lock in that return with an ETF that invests in in bank loans or a mutual fund.
0: The, What's the symbol on that ETF?
1: Oh, let um, me put you on the spot. I think it's BKLN. Uh, like- BKLN. BKLN is how you you invest in the entire leveraged loan market or bank loan market. The a mutual fund that does it is the Sykes Floating Rate Income Fund, SAMBX. I, I invested through the BlackRock Debt Strategies Fund. That's a closed-end fund that tickers DSU. And I, and I did it because it was selling at a 15% discount to its underlying value. And we don't necessarily have to get into closed-end funds, but there's different ways to do it. But you have to recognize the risk when you do that is if a recession hits, then the yield to those strategies will go up because the risk of default increases, and so you don't want to go investing in bank loans if you think the recession is coming in the next few months. But if you think it's several years out, then that's an, that's another option in the bond market that's variable rate that won't go down because interest rates are going up, and you can get a decent yield.
0: I really liked what you said uh, early on in the podcast about you like the idea of investing in ETFs, but not necessarily all broad-based ETF, which leaves out a whole bunch of other potential things. So give me an idea, if you would, of the type of ETFs that you own personally, or that you would advise people to take a look at in other sectors other than the S&P 500 index.
1: Right, so my approach to investing, I call it an asset garden approach. So you just want a wide variety of different return drivers in your portfolio just like you have a wide variety of flowers or plants in in, in a garden and so one of the better-performing ETFs I, I own is IVLU which is the I shares uh, it's, I think it's the MSCI value ETF IVLU is definitely definitely the ticker so this is this is a value-oriented fund and it's global non-us and it's it's down about six or seven percent year to date but it's also those stocks are getting cheaper and cheaper so that's an example one of the best performing stock and, and you need to be careful with this one is pfix it's a simplify interest rate hedge etf and i, and I talked about this on a website uh, last fall this is an etf that actually protects against rising interest rates And it it does it through an option strategy, and it's incredibly volatile because of how it's structured, but it's up 65% year-to-date. So I added that to my portfolio, and and I scaled the position so that it basically protected my bonds and preferred stocks from rising interest rates. And so – but it – again, you have to – you can't buy too much of it because it is so volatile. So that's another example. Uh, We own – uh, Japanese small cap high dividend-paying stocks uh, DFJ is the ticker that's that's a uh, it's been more of a challenge because the yen has has weakened so much yeah but here's an ETF that has a price to earnings ratio of the underlying stocks of seven we talked about buying like QQQ it has a PE of over 30 so here we can buy an ETF in Japan investing in smaller companies that tend to have higher earnings growth, the PE 7, the price to earnings ratio is 7, the dividend yield is 4 or over 4. And wow. so I'll I'll hold that. I mean, it's, it's about 5% of my equity exposure, but it's just another diversifier. And you just kind of layer on diversifiers not trying to optimize your portfolio. We're just trying to cope as investors. We muddle through. And so there's some options to, to add to kind of diversify if you just have one S&P 500 index fund, there, there is a whole world of asset classes out there that you can learn. And if, and if you're only doing index fund investing anyway, you're not spending time researching individual stocks. So why not learn other asset classes and, and get smarter that way?
0: Where, where do you learn these things, David? How, how, can, our, how can our listeners go out and find those the types of ETFs that you're describing here?
1: Well, you can learn them from money for the rest of us because we talk about them on our podcast on the website. But you can also yeah, morningstar is an incredible res- resource of uh, uh, free information on etfs just googling i mean if you want it's like i'd like to, to invest in small company japanese stocks and you google it and it'll pull up a list of stocks and then you just start reading about them or, I, and, you know, and, and be
0: if, i'd be remiss if i didn't ask you two other things before we before we end our podcast and one is gold what about gold
1: I actually just sold uh, some of my gold this morning. So um, I'm a long-term <laughs> holder of gold. It's been a long-term inflation hedge. This year, it's not been a great inflation hedge at all. And and so it hasn't. the The risk with gold is when the dollar is strengthening, and when real rates are increasing, as they are, as the Fed raises rates, real rates will go up. That's not a good environment for gold. So I I sold. A, an ETF that, that had gold, <clears throat> mainly not because I think gold's going to fall because I don't know, but there are so many other opportunities in this down market that I'd rather invest in something that's generating cash flow and has a very attractive dividend yield in this environment. So I just pared back my gold exposure, but it's still 5 6% of my net worth, and most of, most of it in gold coins.
0: Cool. And then, of course, the last thing, Miranda knows I'm going to ask this, crypto- <coughs> What about crypto?
1: <laughs> well, <Yikes>. I, <clears throat> I sold half my Ethereum in January because it had gotten up to 3% of my net worth. And I realized, why am I wagering 3% of my net worth on basically a tech startup? And, and that's what it is when you're, when you're holding crypto tokens. They're, they're competing with each other to see who's going to win. And so I have about 6 7% of my net worth in Bitcoin, or in, in, overall, sorry, in cryptocurrency, most of which is in Bitcoin. But I also have a lot of other smaller tokens which have gotten killed this year. But I, I use it, you know, I buy a bunch of smaller ones just to learn about it because it's such a fascinating area. But to me, the simplest to understand, the first mover, the one with the simplest algorithm is Bitcoin. And so if one wants to speculate, and it is a speculation definitely, uh, Bitcoin is where you start.
0: Would you be a buyer today? At where are we? Thirty thousand. Is that where we are? Let's have a look. Uh, yeah, yeah. Say that
1: thirty thousand. No, I don't like. I have enough. I have enough Bitcoin. I I sold Bitcoin last year, uh, kind of in the forties and upper fifties, because I wanted to own something real. Like yeah. we saw inflation coming, so we saw. Yeah, I sold. Bitcoin and we bought windows for our house made out of steel because <laughs> they're real and
0: they're, they're, are definitely real.
1: <laughs> well, in the sense that at 6% of my net worth with, with cryptocurrency, it was approaching 10%. It is sort of like, I don't know if this is going to work out or not. And it just seemed highly speculative. And with that in gold, it's like, I just took profits. And we'll keep, you know, the Bitcoin I have and just ride it out for the next century, I guess, and we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, I,
0: I, We have to close pretty soon, but do you guys have any other questions? I've been dominating this whole conversation. So, Erin or, or Miranda, this is your opportunity to talk to who's someone who's obviously a genius. Yeah, well, no, actually, okay, so for those, go ahead.
2: Oh, I was just going to say, I just kind of wanted, you know, along with that cryptocurrency thing, um, I, too, sold Bitcoin last year, <laughs> so some of my Bitcoin last year, and so on my personal portfolio, I've I've made gosh like fifty times what I've put in for cryptocurrency because I did take profits last year, and so like David, I'm just kind of running writing it out, but I think it's interesting to note that um, like cryptocurrency enthusiasts have been pushing this narrative that you know this is an alternative to stocks and bonds, this is an alternative to the markets, the traditional markets, and what we're seeing is that Cryptocurrencies are increasingly correlated to the stock market right now, and we've seen what we're seeing is um, it's not fulfilling this sort of (laughs) decoupling promise we've been given. Um, So, if you, so I I just kind of want to caution people once again, like David said, this is a speculative investment. Um, It can be kind of fun to play around with, uh, but it's not probably going to end up being a hedge against the markets.
1: Plus Aaron? you probably had uh, a very my large is, tax is... bill after selling yeah. your Bitcoin <laughs> last year. That that uh, that was a shocker to us. So that's the that's the other thing to keep me from selling more is the taxes are too high on it.
0: Gosh, David, you what a great what a great guest you were. Perfect. really appreciate it. We are out of time, though, guys. But we are never out of topic, especially not this one. Dig a little deeper. You're going to find links to lots more info in our show notes. And remember, if your goal is to make more, to spend less, to retire rich, your online home is moneytalksnews.com. And don't forget to check out Miranda's online home as well. That is Miranda Marquit, com. And, of course, you want to visit David at his website. David, tell me your website. I want to make sure we got it right.
1: Money for the rest of us.com.
0: Money for the rest of us.com. And listen to his podcast, guys. You're going to like it. If you got a question, comment, or topic you'd like to suggest, please tell us about it. You can email us at hello at moneytalksnews.com. That's hello at moneytalksnews.com. And one final thing if you like what we do, then do something for us. Subscribe to our podcast. It takes you two seconds. Really helps us, though. So if you like us, show us and subscribe. I am Stacy
2: Johnson. I'm Miranda Marquette.
0: I'm Feeling Incremental. And I'm David Stein. <laughs> Thanks again, David. Thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. We'll see you right here next time.